Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Whether you're with us here in person or you are worshiping with us online, we are very excited to have you here with us uh, on this Sunday morning. Uh, today is a, is a big day, um, and uh, I must be a lunatic because I'm actually really excited to talk to you all about politics uh, for the next few weeks. Um, I've long kind of held the, the view that um, pastors and leaders in churches like, like need to be talking about how we engage with even controversial things in society because um, like we're called to shepherd you in all areas of your life. Jesus is king and lord of everything that we do. The gospel impacts everything that we do. And that has to be true for how we engage with politics, too. And so uh, I'm excited to talk about that uh, for the next few weeks here. Uh, I also was a political science major in college, so I just enjoy the topic of politics, uh, at least to a degree, um, uh, myself. So, so I, I think a lot about this. I'm excited to kind of share some stuff that I've kind of been learning and growing in for the last uh, few years, really. Um, and I know Julie is next week going to uh, share some similar stuff uh, for her. Now, because this is such like a big issue, we don't want to just have the conversation happen on Sunday mornings and in community groups. So actually, we want to give you a chance to uh, submit questions and for us to try to uh, give our best response to those. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to let you go to ResCityChurch.org. There should be a tab. Is that right, Julie? A tab that people can click? No? It's just on the homepage. So you can submit your uh, question for us. And on Thursdays at 4 o'clock on Instagram Live, Julie and I are going to try to answer them. And then we'll also try to post them on YouTube so that if you can't catch it live, you can watch it later on. But please send us questions. It's only four sermons. It could be a, a lot more, I think, really, if we were going to really dive into this in all of its full depth and kind of complexity. And that's a, a big part of it is it's a very complex thing. It impacts us differently. And so we kind of want to give you a chance to ask specific questions and to try to respond to them. So please uh, do that. It, it can be kind of off the sermon that week. It can kind of maybe be uh, not related, but a question you might have that you'd like to get a, an answer to. So yeah, restcitychurch.org. It's on our homepage. And uh, 4 o'clock p.m. on Thursdays, we'll be doing that Q&A on Instagram Live and then posting that to YouTube later on. So uh, I'll just start out with kind of the, the big idea for today's sermon. I'll start there, and then I want to kind of unpack each of the things I'm about to say for the rest of the sermon. On the issue of politics, I think Christians have often unknowingly confused our call as Christians uh, and our love, where our love is supposed to be directed as Christians, with ideas and loves that come from partisan sources and, 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 and kingdom of man, city of man sources, rather than uh, the kingdom of God and, and the one who we are called to love, Jesus. We don't live, and even if we think we're doing that, we don't, we kind of live inconsistently, I think, in our public lives, especially in regards to politics, where we're functionally not living what Jesus says our king in everything we do, whether it's in how we think and in our demeanor and, and in how, how we, we, we choose to kind of engage with other people, whatever it is, we, we, we don't live that out in its, in its fullness. And when we don't do that as Christians, 
I think the world sort of loses the blessing that we have to offer as Christians because of who we uniquely are, who we worship, how we are called to live, as we sort of call others to live under the reign of our King Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Now, how does... How does it get this way? Why is this so difficult for us? How do we kind of get conscripted into this other view of the world unknowingly? I, wanna, I think it really starts with two pressures that we feel every four years as we come into an election season, specifically a presidential election season. There's, you know, obviously we have other elections that happen at different times, but presidential elections have a different sort of, like the volume gets turned up to 100 when we get to presidential elections. Everyone is at least somewhat engaged, don't really have a choice. You're probably getting lots of mail right now or texts or uh, uh, ads uh, whenever you go to any website for the candidates. Even if you want to escape it, you can't really, right? So the pressure is on us in a couple of different areas. Now I think the first pressure that we as Christians often feel is to try to ignore it, to try to kind of create a gap or uh, some distance between us and politics. Um, and to focus on the gospel, to kind of just try to confine our thinking to the spiritual realm and stay in our bubble. We think of politics as kind of a dirty word, and, and we think it would be better if we just focused on sort of preaching the gospel, living it out spiritually, kind of calling other people to do it too, and really just kind of keeping ourselves away from the political world as much as possible. Now, a problem with that approach is actually something we just prayed today in the Lord's Prayer. There is a specifically a call in there for, for us to pray for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that inevitably has to manifest within like our civil societies, right? We, we are citizens of a country. If we really want that to sort of resonate out from us in all sorts of areas, it has to touch our politics. We can't avoid that. Um, God is for justice. He's for life. He's for freedom. He's for all these different things. He has a vision for how people are to live that is best for them, and we're called to live that in the church. And if we you know, are refusing to let that resonate out from us as a church, I think we're kind of missing a slice of the gospel. And Julie's going to talk next week a little bit more about why we should care about politics, why Christians should care about this stuff uh, next week. But, but what I want to say now is we kind of can shrink the gospel down to half of what it is when we do this thing, okay? Now, the problem, the, the other problem that, that is formed is, is we look at the alternative to that and we, we're like, that's not too great either, right? The, the, the second pressure we feel oftentimes is maybe you're like, yeah, it is a problem. We have to get politically engaged. It matters, Okay? And so we feel this pressure when we cross the divide into politics to pick one of two ways to engage. Okay? We have to pick the party or the ideology that we feel like is probably closest to Christianity, and then we have to wholeheartedly sort of commit to that agenda, which, which maybe we can recognize going in, doesn't really fit everything we believe as Christians, but we think, I mean, I don't really have any other choice, so I'm going to be cool with it. I'm just going to engage with politics according to how this party says I should, um, and maybe they're not perfect, but they're better than the other guys. What, whoever the other guys are, whichever party you think that is, at least they're not them. All right, so I'm willing to sort of just jump all in to that. Maybe you know, I'll be Republican or I'll be Democrat or I'll be you know, Libertarian, whatever it, whatever it is, in the physical world, in my public space, and I'll remain a Christian in, in the spiritual world. Now, the problem with that is that we can't help but be impacted by that in ways that we don't often uh, realize. 
Caitlin Scheiss has written a, a fantastic book called The Liturgy of Politics. I would really, really highly recommend this book to you. It's accessible. It's easy to read. It's not a very like, thick scholarly work. I think you will really enjoy reading it. And, and she says that what happens when we do jump into politics as Christians is we start to get sort of formed by that. And here's what she says specifically. The ideas we gain in one area have underlying values, and the one area she's talking about is what we could call the p- political world, right? Uh, they have underlying values with their own gravitational pull, breaking out of the boxes we put them in. Political values don't stay political, they become ultimate. We often treat our political convictions as if they operate on a lower rung than our theological convictions. The line between our political beliefs, our moral beliefs, and our theological beliefs is blurry, if not entirely invented. We certainly interact with various peoples, communities, and institutions in different ways, but none of our beliefs in these categories are ever content to stay in the boxes we've prescribed for them. They'll wander, they'll bleed over, and most importantly, they will seek supremacy. If we aren't aware of the deep pull of these beliefs, we will carelessly incorporate them into our lives without ordering them, testing them against more foundational beliefs, and putting them in proper submission to the ultimate controlling authority in our lives. So what she's saying is once we do inevitably step into the political world, we are suddenly going to be uh, inundated with all sorts of different things that are trying to form our hearts and our, our thinking and our reasoning and our, really our loves towards a different vision that does not kind of flow out of the kingdom of God. Okay, And so here's an example. L- let me just give you an example of a way that th- this happens to us without us realizing it. Okay, so an example is a lot of times around, around this time of year, people tend to post a picture of themselves of the sticker that they get, right? The I voted sticker. And a lot of times you'll see the like, did my civic duty, went out and, and kind of did the call that I have on me to engage civically. And, and a lot of us maybe feel pressure to post that too, to let people know that we've sort of engaged in this calling that we have as Americans to, to engage civically in, in the process. And the reason is, is that we've been told that the right to vote or participate is this great honor, this great privilege that we have as Americans, and it's our duty, almost like a sacred duty for us to uh, respond to it by exercising it. We've learned in history classes how, you know, this great American experiment that we're part of, uh, we got to engage in it. And so the civic duty starts to have an ultimate claim on us, we feel, and the sacred right for this, this world, this, this amazing country we've been born into, is voting. And so we have to exercise it. And we have to let everybody else know that we take this sort of almost religious calling seriously, right? Uh, as I say this, I, I, I imagine you're, you're sort of understanding what I'm saying here. You kind of have heard this before. And, and what I'm describing is what we could call formation. Uh, the, and it's the effect of, of rhetoric that we've heard our whole lives about America, seeing flags waving, uh, doing pledges, um, hearing songs, going to, to rallies, uh, seeing fireworks every 4th of July, um, hear, you know, hearing about the great history of our country. Like That does something to us when we hear that constantly. When we engage in these sort of practices and habits and rituals, that does something to us that we don't always realize is, is doing it to us, and that's called the formation. We're being formed towards something, and we begin to sort of love an ultimate vision for human flourishing on earth, and that starts to spill into our theological beliefs, whether we realize it or not, 
And instead of it being a Christian one, again, because we don't realize it's happening, it starts to kind of overtake it as sort of an American one. Our, our love of freedom, our love of being an American, right? That starts to become a huge part of our identity in ways we don't realize. And because we live in such a fractured society, there are really two competing kind of visions for what America is. So no longer are we just sort of formed into this view that being American is the ultimate part of our identity. But, but now we're, we're, we're being formed into a certain vision for what it means to be American. We have two sides that are sort of locked in this existential battle right now for the soul of what it means to be American and who America is. And, and so we start to get uh, sort of locked into one of those partisan views of America when we think that it's, you know, this is, this is our, our, who we are. And so our patriotism takes on these sort of partisan dimensions, and we start to Christianize it. That's what we, 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 really, we start to put biblical language to this stuff. We, we, we've taken it in. It's, it hasn't come to us through Christianity, but we start to think it must, because it's so awesome, it's so great, whatever the value is that we lock onto, we think it has to be Christian. And so we start to slap biblical language onto it. We start to maybe find Bible verses that support it, or we just have heard it's biblical, and so we start to think, that too. But it's, it's not biblical. A lot of the stuff that we take in isn't biblical. It's American sort of through the, and it's American through the lens of a certain partisan ideology about who America should be. Now, I'm not casting stones at all of you who are listening to this because I myself, like, this has happened to me and I've reflected on this for, for, for kind of many years after I, I, I sort of got to a peak of this, and it was, it was in college, and I w w just kind of was like, so I, was, I don't even know how you could be a Christian and not get out and vote for the Republican Party. That's really kind of what my mindset was when I was in college, okay? So, so like, please don't hear me criticizing you, because I have had this happen to me, probably more so than a lot of other people who are listening to this, all right? So it just happens naturally. It's not a bad thing that's happened to you, and I'm not saying it's wrong to, like, be American and to be happy we're in America and to vote and to feel excited about the fact that we do have a chance to have a say in who our leaders are, it is a, a privilege. I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad or wrong, but we have to be careful that we don't take our sort of, uh, our, our civic, do, uh, we have to have a greater civic or even political duty to our King Jesus than we do to our country. All right, and I think that those things get flipped without us realizing it uh, in, in America today. The nature of this king and this kingdom are, are really important for us to understand what our political engagement should look like as Christians. So I want to talk a little bit about, uh, about the kingdom of God here and what it means for us to be a part of the kingdom of God and to have a king named Jesus. Now you'll remember uh, when we were just in the book of John here recently, and I skipped chapter 18, and it's because I kind of wanted to save some of the content of that discussion between Jesus and Pilate for the sermon series. So in John 18, Pilate, who is the governor of that kind of area of the Roman Empire at the time, he summons Jesus to himself, and he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Now what he's asking is, he, he's saying, listen, I don't care if you're going around telling your Jewish people to do these sort of religious things, I could care less. Just, but but if, if, if you are saying you're a king to them, then we kind of have a problem. This is not going to be okay. Because there's really only one king in this world, and his name is Caesar. And it's my job to sort of enforce the will of Caesar in the world. So if you're saying you're a king, that's a, that's a problem. Because it's, it's conflicting with my job as the enforcer of the, of the real king in the world, uh, Caesar. 
And Jesus tells them, he doesn't deny the charge. He puts it, it, it kind of in Pilate's lips as if, if, if it's true. But then he sort of nuances what it means, what he says, that he's a king and that he has a kingdom. He says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And that's the key phrase in there. My kingdom is from another place. Now, he's not saying that it's from another place, it's in a spiritual world, it doesn't have anything to do with this physical world. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about that its source comes from somewhere sort of outside of the earth. And he's talking about how this kingdom of God comes to us, sort of crashing and kind of breaking into what what Augustine would call, St. Augustine, this great uh, African uh, church leader from the 300s would say is called the city of man. And he says in, in this book of his called the, the city of God, accordingly there are two cities that have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, and the heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. So what he says is every one of us, based on what our ultimate sort of love is towards, is going to find ourselves into one kingdom or another. And for Christians, our ultimate love is towards our king, Jesus. And by loving him, we enter into this, what he calls the city of God, where Jesus is our king. And everybody else finds love of themselves as kind of the ultimate driving love in their life. And, and when that's true, you, you find yourself, Augustine says, in what he calls the city of man. The, the, this kind of city that is made up of, of people who, who love themselves. And so... Uh, political reasoning is, uh, that, that is not Christian is coming from a source that, that is ultimately love of self. Uh, it's, it's love of creation rather than the creator, like Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1. Right? It's coming from a completely different place. But the, the kingdom of, of God comes from a source that comes to us from outside the world. So it is not going to have the same sort of approach to thinking about the world and, and what it should look like for human flourishing and for how governments should be set up and all these different things, right? It's going to come from a completely different place which comes to us from heaven, from God himself, from our King Jesus. That doesn't mean it's always bad uh, to, to, to kind of the, the reasoning of, uh, in the city of man, but it's not directed in the same way that Christians are supposed to find their hearts directed, okay? That's, that's at least we can acknowledge that, right? If not outright sort of tainted by sin and misunderstanding of, of the world because of what sin does to us as humans. And so the best that it's kind of come up with today oftentimes we find, and we feel this as Christians, this is that, that first impulse I was talking about earlier to sort of not be engaged in politics, we can see that the best that like the political reasoning of the world today has come up with, it seems like, is this sort of titanic clash between liberal and conservative and this, this battle against one another. And the real threat in the world is not sin, but it's actually just the other people who believe differently than us, all right? Um, and we as Christians, we have to sort of tap into the source that our gospel comes from. And that's this, this kingdom of God, because the foundation is quite different. We, we live under the, the reign of, of Jesus. We don't vote him into office. He, is, he has been established as king uh, by God himself. We, we don't get to vote him into office. We, uh, that, we, that's not a right we have in the kingdom of God. Um, and, and as Jesus as king sort of demands our allegiance over any sort of party or ideology that we may find ourselves loving in the city of man. 
okay? Now, often Jesus isn't our functional king when it comes to politics, our beliefs, our demeanors, sort of the, the full breadth of our thinking, maybe, maybe a slice of it, right? Maybe we, uh, parts of it are, are, are kind of coming to us from our beliefs as Christians, but not all of it often is coming from a, a place of honoring Jesus as king, it ultimately ends up being very partisan. And I think that should matter to us, but I honestly don't think we care a lot of times. I really don't think we, that, 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 that worries us a lot of times when it comes to political engagement because we care a lot of times about just whatever uh, is worried about it in, in, in the city of man, which is just winning. It's just making sure that the right policy gets put in place, the right candidate is sitting in office, and that's all that really matters, right? And that is not the way that it should be in the kingdom of God. Now, the early Christians took Jesus as king very, very seriously, and they made waves in their society, partly because it was sort of misunderstood as revolutionary, but, but most, mostly because it, it, it mattered in that they lived different. They were distinct from the rest of society. You could tell that these people were marked out by following a completely different king in the way that they lived their lives. Okay, and it's because they had a different ultimate authority than whoever was emperor at the time. They cared who was emperor, but they cared more that Jesus was king. They lived out the politics of the kingdom of God in their communities, um, and the politics of the church is ultimately, is ultimately worship. And that meant not getting incorporated into uh, existing parties or philosophies, and in fact, it meant resisting sort of Rome's agenda. That's what something the early Christian church was actively doing. Now, what I mean by resistance, R. Allen Street is, is a, a, a scholar who studied the early church in depth. He says that Christian political resistance doesn't mean overthrowing a society or, or an empire or anything like that and turning it into a Christian one. That's not what Christian resistance is. It just means us simply saying that we're for the kingdom of God and by virtue of that, we're resisting uh, Rome's agenda, which is different than ours in the church, right? We're, we're resisting being a part of that um, to the point that it directs how we view the world and what our loves are. And that's just tricky, right? This is, this is hard to do. It requires thought. It requires work. It requires faithfulness. Um, and, and really, the pastor's job, kind of going back to the whole point of why we're doing this series, is to sort of try to point you in the direction of what that should look like. Now, Christians resisted publicly by uh, preaching the gospel, saying there was another king of the world. It wasn't Caesar, it wasn't Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell, right? They, they proclaimed another king in the world. And then they did it privately by creating a community, the church, that wasn't dominated by the sort of political notions of the day, kind of preached at them by Caesar or the rest of the Roman society. There was no social stratification, no outside views uh, put on people inside the church. Everyone was sort of viewed as equal citizens of the kingdom of God. And they treated each other inside that community as their king was calling them to do it. And so they were resisting sort of being categorized in the church as they were outside of it. And so what we saw the early Christians doing is actually valuing stuff that today would be called both liberal and conservative. We find things that don't today are apparently in total conflict with one another, but for the early church seem to go together perfectly. So just a couple of examples here. Things that we would call liberal today in the early church was this sort of complete unity and equality together in Christ, racially. Like, there is, there is sort of no uh, room for racism in the early church because everybody has been defined according to their king. 
There was no special honor on those who were the wealthy ones. Everyone was sort of treated the same, no matter how much money they brought to the table. And, and women found this sort of dignity in Christ and roles that they didn't have outside of the church, in the church. They were treated differently than they were outside of it. But there were also very, very conservative, what we would call today very conservative impulses in the early church. Christians would not abort children, which was a very, very common thing, actually, in the ancient world. And even, even more common than abortion in the ancient world was this um, uh, practice called exposure, which is because abortion was more dangerous in the ancient world because they didn't have the sort of medicine that we have today or the, the technology that we do. A lot of times, if you had a child that you didn't want, you would, you would literally just leave it outside, maybe in a garbage heap, maybe outside your front door, and you would, if someone wanted the baby, they could just come take it, but oftentimes the baby would just die. And no one batted an eye. This was a normal practice. But the Christians rejected this normal practice, and oftentimes they would go kind of rescue these children that had been exposed. Uh, they, they went around picking up the children that they were finding outside of people's houses and raising them in their family, caring for them. And so um, they didn't do these things because they were liberal and they thought, like, you know, liberal ideas are the best ones. Or they didn't do them because they thought conservative ideas are the best one. They did them because they were Christian. And they did them because they were the values of their king and they were coming from a completely different place. And, and, and they caused their pagan neighbors a certain amount of discomfort and caused them to, t- to say stuff like what we read in the book of Acts in chapter 17. Okay, so this is a group of Christians. They've been dragged out in the middle of the city. A bunch of people in the city are really upset. And this is what they say to the city officials about why they're dragging these Christians out and want them punished. These men who have turned the world upside down have also come here. And Jason, who is the person whose house these Christians were meeting in, has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Now, I would say today that as Christians, we've sort of given up this vision of what it looks like. To, to, to really think to be Christian means to sort of throw the status quo on, on its side, to, to turn the world upside down, to, to preach that there's another king, and that actually matters for us, and we think it matters for the world. Today, I would say Christians in America aren't really turning the world upside down. Uh, we just are joining political parties. We're just giving up our distinctiveness, like as if it doesn't matter at all. We don't seem to care about it. We would proudly rather call ourselves Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Socialist than Christian, not really thinking that we're giving anything up by referring to ourselves in that way as opposed to citizens of the kingdom of God. We've given our thinking over. Returning to Caitlin Scheiss um, in her book, Liturgy of Politics, she says that instead of dealing directly with complex issues, because these are complex issues, all right? I don't want to reduce any of the things in the world and make them sound as if they're simple and all Christians should do everything in the same uh, time and place throughout all of history. Actually, in our last sermon, I'm going to make, I'm going to tell you that's actually the opposite of what we should be doing. But She says that instead of dealing directly with complex issues, we've outsourced. (laughs) We've outsourced how we think about things to political parties. We're afraid of getting political, quote-unquote, but we aren't afraid of letting others do the dirty work for us. So we think we're kind of staying hands-off from politics, but really what we're doing is we're just letting someone else tell us what to think. 
We're, we're, we're choosing to, to give up this distinctiveness. And so, instead of upsetting Caesar's apple cart, Caesar is, is upsetting our apple cart as Christians. And when that happens, the enemy of the world isn't seen. It just becomes sort of the other side. But Christians should sort of, we should baffle the political order today, not fit neatly within it. And I think too often we just fit too neatly within the political order as it's constituted today. But I tell you, we should be baffling to it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't fit neatly into the categories that the world has sort of set up for who you are and what you believe. We should, we should, we should not fit into it. Let me get, give you an example of this. This is an exchange I, I kind of stumbled onto between Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, on Twitter. And he had been kind of making the point that Christians should care about oppression and justice. And someone, because it's Twitter, I mean, there's, people can't help themselves. Someone jumps in and says, whoa, 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 you're talking about an oppression and justice. You're a Marxist, Tim Keller right? As if all people fit neatly into a Marxist box, and I guess from, from what it sounds like he's saying, a libertarian box. That's what he's saying. And Keller says, no, 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 no. I'm a Christian. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's why I care about oppression and justice. He says that uh, talking about oppression and justice doesn't make one a Marxist. It makes one a student of the Bible, okay? There's so much of this sort of lazy, either or black and white thinking out there that either you're a liberal or conservative on every issue if you say these certain buzzwords or something. And Tim Keller, he's pushing back against this. And he continues on and says, no, listen, you, you care more about these boxes. You're leaving God out of the picture. I have to do from my neighbor whatever God says I need to do. That includes voluntary charity. But it also requires advocacy for the poor. Marxism is as secular as libertarianism. It reduces how you help the poor to one thing, either a socialistic or voluntaristic economies. Both are reductionistic. It seems as if you're saying, if I'm not a Marxist, I'm on the libertarian's voluntaristic side. Okay, you don't need to understand. There's a lot of big words in there. You don't need to understand what he's saying. All that you need to really get is that he's saying, just because I say one thing doesn't mean I'm a liberal or I'm a conservative. It means I'm a Christian. And it matters that we sort of reclaim what that means as Christians. And you can see how he's sort of baffling the, the political order uh, as, it, as it stands. Now it continues and he uses this, this analogy. As Treebeard says, I'm not on anyone's side. Now th- this is a, a reference to the character of Treebeard from the Lord of the Rings movies. And here's a picture of him. He's a big tree that walks around and talks in case you haven't seen Lord of the Rings. I was actually hanging out with Julie and my in-laws yesterday, and I, mentioned, I brought up Treebeard, and I got a couple, I got some blank stares from them, and I kind of described, he's like a big tree that walks around, and they're like, oh, like Baby Groot? And I was like, yes, I guess, like Baby Groot. Okay, but tre- Treebeard is this, this character in the Lord of the Rings. He ends up helping the protagonists of the story. He ends up helping some hobbits and um, kind of helping them in their battle against um, a, a character named Saruman. But what, he's having a conversation with one of the characters where he talks about how he kind of approaches this big battle that's going on in the world, uh, kind of outside of his forest that he lives in. And he says, I don't know about sides, I go my own way, but your may may go along with mine for a while. I'm not altogether on anybody's side because nobody is altogether on my side, if you understand me. Nobody cares for the woods as I care for them, not even the elves nowadays. Still, I take more kindly to elves than others, and there are some things, of course, whose side I am altogether not on. 
what Tim Keller is saying is that Christians need to kind of adopt this sort of posture of independence that Treebeard has, of, of allegiance to our kingdom and, and our agenda and our values over the sort of the ones of the world. We will have convictions, we will have goals as Christians, we, we have this calling from our king. We, we talk about this all the time at, at Rest City, right? We, we are always talking about sort of what, what is called to look, what, what it looks like for us to, to live the gospel out, what it looks like for us to live as Jesus is our king. But neither party is really going to be about the, the kingdom of God agenda. They want to tell you, they want to tell us that, that they are, but I mean, why would they be, right? They have their own goals. They have this sort of their own prescriptions of things that they want to get done. They have sort of, uh, they, they care about power. They care about opportunity. They care about goals that grow from roots that ultimately aren't Christian. And so, like Treebeard, we may, um, we may go a- alongside of some, some of these groups for a time. Sometimes our paths will cross. They'll be heading in the same direction. But that doesn't mean that we need to like let ourselves sort of um, become incorporated into them. Because when we do, we just become political props, is really what, what happens. We don't really get respected for anything other than just as a collection of votes that the party can rely on. Uh, a group that, that can be appeased by things like standing in front of a, a church holding a Bible up, thinking that that's enough to get us to, to go out and vote for, for them, right? Like, come on, guys. Let, let's treat ourselves with more respect than that as Christians. Let's have more dignity than that. Okay? It's okay for us to go along on a path with a party or, or a, a non-kingdom agenda for a time. Okay? And, and it's, it's good for us to celebrate common cause. But we shouldn't celebrate, we should celebrate because we're Christians when we do that. We, we should remain distinct even as we celebrate. Okay? And we have to be so careful to not be co-opted, uh, to, 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 kind of to love something else and let that spill into how we view what, what it means to be Christian because that happens to us. It, it just is a natural way that the world works and I think that's a big reason why we are where we are. And now these sort of partisan divisions and agendas have started to spill into the church and you get churches that are fighting with each other or that don't even want to talk about the issue of politics because they're afraid it'll be so divisive and people, listen, I have friends that have, have told me like when their church asked them to wear masks that they had people that said, we're going to leave the church, okay? Like, like that's, that's how bad it's getting like in churches right now. And it, it just shows like how much we've sort of been incorporated into this way of thinking about everything through these sort of partisan lenses and not Christian lenses, not kingdom of God lenses. And so our big point of application today is this. This election season, let's be gripped by kingdom politics, not partisan ones. Now, there's going to be plenty of time for application in this sermon series, all right? So I'm not going to get to unpacking all this stuff today. That's why we wanted to do more than one sermon on this. And next week, Julie's going to, like I said, kind of talk to you about, what do I do if I really don't care about politics that much? Why should I? What is it? And she's going to talk about, like, the need to love our neighbor and how that manifests itself politically. Um, In the third uh, part of this sermon series, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about, like, what is government even supposed to look like? Like, how does... What is, how does the Bible talk about what government is supposed to be? We're actually going to have a whole sermon on that so we can kind of have that understanding as we choose how to engage and what that looks like. And in the last sermon, I want to talk to you about how do we actually think through how we can honor God with our vote. Now, just to be clear, we will never, ever tell anyone to vote for a certain candidate or a certain party at Res City. That would, that would be 
not only is that like illegal for us to do and remain a 501c3, but like that's, that's the whole wrong approach. I actually think Christians can vote for both candidates and both parties, okay? I think that that is totally fine. I just want to equip you to think through it well, to think through it as, as a Christian and not a partisan. I think that's what matters for us is that we are, we are choosing who to vote for for the right reasons, okay? But, but what I want to do today as I close the sermon out is talk about these four marks of the kingdom of God that, that we should care about as we choose how to go out and vote. And I want to talk a little bit about how these things sort of manifest themselves um, uh, incompletely and inconsistently in both parties or both approaches to politics, both liberal and conservative. Just to kind of show you how no one party has like, you know, is the kingdom of God party or the Christian party because these sort of impulses find expression in both of them, but both of them, they come to us sort of incomplete and, and inconsistent even. You can, we'll, we'll kind of see how they clash against each other sometimes. So you would think, what, how can these be parts of two different parties if, you know, if it's a kingdom of God thing, okay? Um, but, but, but I want you to, you can remember it through the acronym CASH, okay? It's not, there's no reason I picked CASH, it just worked, okay? So, um, but hopefully that, this helps you to remember the, these four marks of the kingdom. These four things that Christians, I think, should uniquely be concerned about as they go to the polls and as they think about what it looks like to, to be a Christian and engage with politics. The first one, C, stands for capacity for human evil. We should be taking seriously the capacity of sin to sort of impact everything in the world, to sort of corrupt everyone, knowing that the, that the power of sin makes everything in the world worse. This is why we need a savior, right? This is the whole point of the gospel, is that we're being saved from our sin. Right? So, so it should make sense for us as Christians to understand that, that sin is going to work itself out into all sorts of different places, and we should try to care about protecting people for, from the capacity of human evil, evil that, that is out there. When people have power, whether it's because uh, of political power, or it's because of a lot of wealth they've accumulated, or influence that they have, or something, um, they're inevitably going to abuse it in some way, all right? And, and people will get hurt. So because of this, Christians should care to limit the power of those in charge, uh, maybe in government, and that's kind of a conservative way to view it, right? Let's, let's limit the power of the government because bad things can happen if government has too much power or, or one person, one king has too much power and authority, everything, because once they go, the whole society goes, right? That's a very conservative way to view things in the world, and there are a lot of examples of that historically. But actually, lib liberals care about this too. They want to protect those who don't have power from those who abuse it. And today in our society, a lot of people that have power are those who happen to have a lot of money, a lot of ability sort of to in enforce their will through influence or, or finances, okay? So both sides care about limiting the capacity of human evil in the world. Um, they just can't get on the same page about what it looks like to, to, to live that out consistently. But Christians should, should care about both of those. Because we care about sin. We understand sin is a reality in our world. The second one I want to talk about is attention to the least of these. Right? We have a, a special sort of calling as Christians to, to look to those who, who are lesser than us. The, the, those who are poor and are marginalized and to care for them. To give them a sort of a, a, a special care that they can't have for themselves. And when we do this, what we're, what we're doing is we're living out the gospel. Because Christ comes to us sort of spiritually poor, 
and marginalized by sin and overtaken, slaves to sin, and he sets us free from it. He pays special attention to us even though we completely don't deserve it. That's the gospel. And our king tells us to sort of live that out in the rest of the world as a church. Now, again, both liberals and conservatives have parts of this in what they believe. For conservatives, it is a care for the unborn, the ultimate people who who have no voice, who have no ability to speak up for their rights, okay? And and conservatives have a special desire to care for those and to to make sure that they are cared for um, and and have rights and that they are heard and they are protected. But a liberal version of this would say that poor and racial minorities, immigrants, and other marginalized people groups need special care and attention given to them too. They need protection to be called out for them because it, unless people who are in power go out of their way to care for them, they're going to be they're going to fall through the cracks. So both sides care about this, but again, it manifests sort of incompletely and inconsistently in both sides of their thinking. But for us as Christians, there's a perfect coherence between these two things, and we should care equally about both of these. Next, we have stewardship of God's gifts. God has given us so much. We believe everything in the world, all of creation, everything in this room is all just a gift from God. And as Christians, we're called to steward that well. We're called to to take the resources that God has given us and use them wisely for for wise benefit, use them in worship to God, to use them for caring for others or or, or limiting power or whatever, some of those things we just talked about. Um, We are called to, 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 to take special care of what God has given us. And that includes our money, Right? Making sure that we as a country are using our money wisely. We're not just throwing it away at stuff that is inefficient or doesn't work. We want to make sure that we, we use our money for good effect. Right? And that's a very conservative thing to care about, to want to cut costs so that, that, are, that are, are not wasteful and limit the debt and different things. And I think that's a Christian impulse in it. Okay? But we've also been given a world to steward. We've been given a, a, a wonderful creation that God has given us that we need to also make sure is not corrupted by sort of uh, the, the, the things that humans do to it that sort of pollute it and plague it. And we're starting to see more and more the effects that, that human society has had on the climate. And we're starting to realize, like, for us as stewards of this world we've been given, we've got to care about that too. Christians should care about both of these things. And so even though they manifest again incompletely and inconsistently in the two parties, Christians should have perfect coherence towards viewing both of these things as as things we should wisely steward. Now the last thing they want to talk about, the H in cash, is humility. We, We value humility. Christians should value tolerance towards one another. We should value humility in ourselves as we relate to people who disagree with us. And we should find ourselves disagreeing with people in both parties because of what we're talking about here, right? But we should, because of that, we should value humble leaders. And we're going to talk more about this in that last sermon, what, what humble leadership looks like and why we should care about it. But we should value people who are not trying to put themselves in the place of Jesus, okay? When leaders don't have humility, they will do crazy things to stay in power, to make sure that their sort of agenda is brought through. They're going to care more about figuring out how they can stay in power and get their, their stuff through. Um, and, and, and like, they'll just dump people if they're no longer advantageous to them, right? Or, or they're going to do stuff that we're, we would like, like, whoa, like, that's not okay because they don't have humility. So we should value humility because it creates a sort of character in our leaders that we can trust. Even if we don't agree with them on everything, we can trust that 
at least I know that I believe that they actually care about people and they may be going about it a different way than I would do it, but I trust that they care about people. And that should matter more to us than anything else. And, and, and that's going to come from humble leaders, I think. So we should value that in ourselves and in our leaders, okay? So, so I hope that you can kind of see that like, when, we, when we take the totality of what we as Christians are called to value, we find that no one party or, 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 or ideology sort of fits everything we believe as Christians into it perfectly. We should not fit neatly into any of the existing sort of political structures of the day. We should be separate from it. We should be independent. We should baffle it. And it's because of our own sort of internal coherence of worshiping Jesus as our king, our love for him. And, and, and I think we need to fight to, to maintain that sort of distinctiveness as Christians, especially this political season. So um, what I want to do is I want to close with this, uh, this reflection question today. And I want to have you think about this one um, as, we, uh, as we head into a time of worship here. As we head into a time of, of worshiping our king, the one who remains king, no matter who gets elected as president on November 3rd or whenever the election results finally come in, right? The one who remains king, the one who remains sovereign over everything, the one who is our rock when things seem to be so turbulent around us, when we, start, when we feel stretched thin in different directions, when we feel like completely like we don't know what to do, which I imagine many of you are feeling this election season, sort of, uh, sort of a, in your hearts, just a sort of, depression about like everything feels like the wrong decision right now okay and I get that I feel that often too I think that's a that's a good thing to feel as Christians but we should also feel a sort of hope and a sort of joy that no matter what happens our king still reigns and he is still the one that is sovereign and still the one is control and that is why we worship him as king over and against anyone else now our application and reflection today like I was saying is, is this Take time to ask yourself, what about my political beliefs comes from the gospel and what doesn't? Where have I picked things up, maybe unknowingly, that, that, I, that maybe don't come from the kingdom? Or maybe it, it manifests incompletely and inconsistently in one way, but I'm not recognizing the fact that if I believe this fully, as I'm called to as a Christian, that it should look like this too, Okay, where, where have you picked things up? I think this requires a lot of self-reflection. It requires a willingness to ask yourself hard questions, to ask yourself what formation has maybe happened in my heart. Um, and, I, and I don't want you to spend the three or four minutes we're going to have in this song thinking about this. I want you to go out from this and really ponder this, this election season. You're going to have a chance uh, to talk about this more in your community groups during the week. Um, and so, so I really want you to think about this this election season. I think this is the right place for us as Christians to start before then we do decide how to step out into political engagement this election season and then all others. Let me pray for us and then we'll enter into that time of, of worship and reflection. Lord, we thank you that you are just that. You are our Lord. You are our King. And you call us to a vision of what it looks like for us to live in this world that comes from another place. It comes from, from heaven. And Lord, you, you equip us to live that out. You, you give us a, a community to live it out within here in the church. And, and, and so you give us an opportunity, specifically in this country, to, to try to see that lived out, Lord, uh, in, in, in our voting. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to live in this country, Lord. And I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to use it well this election season. Help us to be gripped by a vision for, and a love for you as king over all else, Lord, and that we can find hope in that even in the midst of 
the, the divide and the chaos that we find ourselves living in right now, Lord. Pray this in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.